Jesus Christ, this graveyard was like, it was huge. It like crossed the horizon that was that big. It was massive. <laughs> Before we do anything else today, Bill, we need to thank some people. Oh, yeah? Yeah. First off, we need to say thank you to the world building subreddit because they upfolded the hell out of the last uh, episode. Oh, yeah, it did so well. It really, really did very well. Yeah, it really did. Especially for a podcasting, which is not as accessible as, like, a quick YouTube video. Mm-hmm. And I think it was something like, was it somewhere between 80 and 100 upvotes for, like, a two-hour-long show, two-plus-hour-long show. Like, that's that was pretty good going. So I want to say thank you to the subreddit, because that was awesome. Thank you, guys. Um, so that's first thank you. The second thank you, I suppose, we should talk about is our own subreddit. Because they were on fire the last episode i really really like i really genuinely enjoy the subreddit because it's just it's this really cool place where so many different like conversations go on and it's like this melting pot of ideas and stuff what was it there was one thread about megafauna Mm -hmm. there was one thread about like recommending various works of fiction another one about video mistakes another one about flags and it was all in the one thing. And then, then there was one about the Kiwis. And it was just, it's such a pleasure to read. Like, and genuinely, the, the folks on the subreddit are really cool people. Like, I really love the, love interacting with them. It's class. So thank you so much, guys. It's really great to be making something that gets uh, such feedback and get, people get so engaged. And it's really great for us as, as the guys making it to to have that. Yeah. To, yeah. to engage with. It's, it's absolutely awesome. So like, keep it up. Always bombard us with comments. I... I love wasting so much time reading the subreddit. And I, the waste is the wrong word. I like doing it, but a lot of time gets sunken into it, but it's great crack. And keep it up on, on YouTube and on um, the Facebook group and on emails and stuff as well. We actually have quite a few emails that we haven't been able to get to yet. We've is, had a, a lot of emails, a, yeah. A greater situation to be in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, and again, on the email thing, uh, I mentioned this in the subreddit. I Well, I read them all. Yeah. So if, if any of your emails don't make it into the show, just know that they've been read and it's not because it was bad or anything, just because the volume is getting a little bit too much to put every single email into the show now. Who'd have thought? Who'd have thought, eh? So that's the that's that's a second thank you. And then the third thank you again, I just want to do it once more, goes out to my archaeological friend. Mm-hmm. Because I think without her involvement, there's no way the show would have been as upfolded as it was. She She really made that show, so... Uh, thank you again. It's yeah, it's it's really great to to have that kind of expertise propping up our ramblings and our speculation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I want to put it out there uh, for the listeners. Do you think this is a good way to go in future to try and hunt down experts? Let me know what you think about that. And also, if that is a good idea, please keep topic requests coming in because the idea being that if you guys request a certain topic, I don't know, like city building, whatever. Then I would read the emails and I would go uh, and I would go and try and hunt down a town planner, say, to talk to him or her about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you like the idea of experts, brilliant, let me know. And also keep topic suggestions flooding in. That would be, I think that would be, that would be great for Artifexian as a whole. Sure. Speaking of my archaeologist friend, I suppose the first item of follow-up would be to say that she left some corrections and feedback for us. Mm-hmm. She left an extensive email of corrections and feedback. Not that we did bad or anything. It's just she, there, it was a long show and she had a lot of points to elaborate on. So instead of going through it, what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw those comments in in the show notes. 
Cool. Because we'll be here all day. One thing I do want to point out, though, is there is update on the Lake of Skulls. Oh, class. Yeah. and the Metal. Up- metal, so metal. And the update is that apparently they found bits of brain in the skulls when they dug them up. So you one could argue that these were like decapitated heads of people on spikes in the lake. Well, presumably. Well, no, you. I don't think so because they That's could... where heads have... usually come from. Yes, Bill. <laughs> but they could be like, say, the skulls of their loved ones who have who've died and after have been cremated or whatever. Right. You know, it could be that. But the, the image that this conjures, this idea of the brain still being in there, is a sort of Joffrey Baratheon sort of thing. I'm not understanding that reference. Okay, Joffrey, Joffrey Baratheon from Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah, you know the way there's that famous scene where he takes Sansa out on a walk along the walls of King's Landing. And oh, then he, to see her dad's head. To see her dad's head. It's all like gruesome and mangled and tarred. So the image I got there was of this lake that is just dotted with like the tarred heads of the people's enemies. And I just think that's so cool. Yeah. So that was a, follow, a bit of follow up there. Um, we had someone uh, make some artwork based off the Lake of Skulls. Yes, some good artwork. Some class artwork, yeah, because, you know, the internet is very famous for poor artwork. This artwork was awesome. And to credit this person, this person is called Astrid, Astrid, I'm going to assume, Astrid Frizek. Okay. Uh, I don't think, I I think it's Astrid Frizek. And I will throw this uh, artwork in, in the show notes for everyone to check out. You should look at it. It's awesome. What I particularly like about it is that yes the lake of skulls is really cool and all that but there's attention to detail in the hunter gatherer at the side in that the hunter gatherer is wearing colorful jewelry <laughs> and i spent a, i spent a lot of time talking about how it's not just shades of brown they they would have a vibrant society and they might be you know like have lots of jewelry and beads and feathers and little tiny details like that i think really made the painting for me so it's class go check it out guys and then moving, moving swiftly on to more uh, listener-created works of art, in a way. Uh, we have some knitting creation myths in. I saw these, I think. Yeah, do you remember us calling, calling for knitting creation myths in, like, the first episode? Yes. Yeah, so they, they've begun flooding in. When, when I say flooding, I mean two have been, have been uh, coming in, but that's good. <laughs> we got one from, let me just pull it up here. Uh, and I just want to read these out because they're kind of short and I, I quite enjoy them. Uh, via email from, oh God, the names are so difficult. Sraxi? Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> <laughs> Sraxi, uh, we have a, a knitting creation myth that is as follows. In the beginning, the void-like cotton of the universe was free and unbrushed, but then she came. She combed the cotton and separated the strands, so structure and order in the universe began. She dried and stretched the strands, forming her resilient yarn. With knits and pearls, she made a double helix scarf, and from it life arose. The fundamental forces holding the basest of particles together are the strengths of her yarn, and the patterns of her stitches. Even to this day, knitting is used to divine the will of the goddess, and to influence mundane existence. That's pretty cool. It was very cool. It's got a sciencey bent to it, which is uh, I'm always in favour of. And then yeah. via YouTube, we had one from uh, B. Cradley, and it goes: In the beginning, there was the void, the energy, and the goddess. 
The goddess had two needles, the needle of fate and the needle of chaos. The goddess spun the energy into great strings, so she took the two needles and knitted and weaved into space-time. Energy flows through space-time, but the weight of it on the fabric caused it to flow together in some places, and this caused the energy to coalesce into matter. In due time, this matter formed the stars, our world, and you and I. Which, again, nice. another similar science event, which I really like. So thanks a million to uh, Seraxi and B. Cradley for sending in those. They were awesome. Really enjoyed. Interesting thing about those. Oh, go for it. They both identify the creator as the goddess. They do. They're both... Are, are they both? Yes. They're both a female deity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. I suppose, is, is that because we associate knitting with a predominantly female thing? Uh, yes, which yeah. uh, which it historically isn't necessarily. Really? Yeah, in Ireland, I, I, it was actually a man's a man's task. No way. As far as I know, yeah. Huh. We had a um, teacher in primary school who yeah? uh, elementary school for for those not in Ireland uh, who made us all knit. So for the last hour of uh, uh, of school on like a Friday, we all had to knit something, and I be- <clears throat> I became quite a good knitter and i think my oh, yeah? yeah my crowning achievement in knitting was i knitted a little footballer a little <laughs> brazilian footballer uh because i was obsessed with brazilian footballers at the time and from mm-hmm. what i remember it was not terrible like it was an okay <laughs> it was an okay teddy like so just a little thing out there so and knitting knitting every so often i kind of pick up knitting needles if i see them around the place uh, and begin to knit a little bit it's actually a really therapeutic thing. It's really nice. Just sit there and if you just like play a podcast or something and just do the same like motion over and over again. It's a really nice thing. Yeah. It's, it's something I'm very interested in. Casting off is the bit that confuses me. I'm kind of, I'm half convinced that casting off is witchcraft, but the, the rest of it, the rest of it I understand. Yeah, you said that in the first episode. Still the case. <laughs> it's still the case. The, uh, the analogy you used was um, skyhooks, wasn't it? Yeah, it's like Skyhooks. It's like Skyhooks. <laughs> but anyhow. Yeah, I have a friend who's a who's a very keen knitter, and they were telling me about there's a sort of textile historian, I suppose would be the word. Okay. Who does a lot of work into uh, knitting traditions and collects knitting patterns from history and from, from different locations. Ooh. And I think from, from her work, the, this friend knew that... Um, Knitting was actually, like, in, in the West of Ireland, was historically a thing that men did. That's really cool. I wouldn't have, yeah. I wouldn't have thought that. It's, it's interesting how, how we make those kind of assumptions. Like, you know, why not? Why wouldn't it be? Yeah, exactly. And, like, we do we do it all the time, like, with, you know, pink and blue and things like that, whereas their yeah. their roles historically were reversed. Um, yeah. So, yeah. But, so, but some good knitting bits. I liked it. I liked them. They were good. Thanks, guys. Yeah, definitely keep more just... Send us, send us all your thoughts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, so the final email I would like to bring up is from a person who I won't name quite yet, and you'll see why in a second. And they ask in the email about what our thoughts about Doctor Who is. Mm-hmm. So, really quickly, Bill, what are your thoughts on Doctor Who? Um, I find it hard to get into. Okay. There's such a huge kind of backlog to it I mean it's there's like 50 years of material and I like to kind of know things from the start I find it often I can find it difficult to just kind of step in the middle and enjoy the ride Mm. and from the little I know I get 
the impression that actions don't have long-term consequences and story events don't have long-term consequences between different storylines and between different writers and between different doctors. Like, I remember it being said in, in one episode from, you know, Christopher after Christopher Eccleston, you know, in the kind of the modern run, that there were no Daleks um, because they were all killed in the Time War. And first of all, that doesn't make any sense to me because if they have time travel, why can't there like, be Daleks all over the place regardless of at what point they all got destroyed? Right. And then, second of all, there are Daleks now and it just feels like events don't really have any long-term significance in the overall setting. That said, I recognise that I'm looking at it from a very particular point of view because it's not about that. It's more about the work of the individual writers. So it's about events having consequence within specific story arcs. Yes. So it's partly it's partly my just my idiosyncrasy as a, as a viewer. But I think this feeds in a little bit to what I was saying before about it being like mythology. You know, yep. it's using stock characters and stock concepts to tell a variety of stories from different perspectives, which is something I'm very interested in. I just uh, haven't been able to really get my teeth into the show itself. Because of the length. Because of the length and because of that thing about the, the yep. canonicity of it. Okay. Jesus, you ask you to give a short short summary, Christ, he goes into a big massive feel. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, I'm joking. I am the one who always goes off on long tangents, Bill. I say this completely ironically, right? My thoughts on Doctor Who is that I know little to nothing about it. Mm-hmm. I, I have seen uh, bits of it around the place, and I know, like, famous bits of it. You know, I know what the Daleks are, and I know what the Weeping Angels are. You know the Weeping Angels? Yeah, Weeping Angels are great monsters. Yeah, they are a really cool monster. So I know bits of things like that. Um, I've heard some ridiculous stories that come with Doctor Who, like just off-the-wall, crazy, nonsense sort of stuff, and that's made me kind of weary about investigating it. But also, and I don't want to sound offensive or anything, it's very English. <laughs> uh, and I just, which is fine, which is fine, but I don't I don't dig that aesthetic. I don't know, I, there's something about it, I'm, it doesn't get me going, you know, so... This, like, everything is... is, is- Cozy and there's tea at the end. Yeah, and then like the the TARDIS is like a phone booth and it's like a you know it's like a London phone booth and it's all it's all very of England. Yeah, yeah, and not and not in a okay. sort of Lord of the Ringsy romantic past way, in a sort of like the way England was maybe you know ten years ago or something like that. It's not it's not removed enough for for me to have for for me to for it to be appealing to me. Okay. I actually quite like that aesthetic in a lot of things, like mysteries, you know, um, you know, do you ever watch the Father Brown mysteries or, you know, Agatha Christie kind of stuff? Yeah, Agatha Christie stuff, yes. Yeah, I, I, I quite like that. Yeah, but that's a whole different thing, Bill. I suppose Agatha Christie's a bit darker, but it's still quite English, you know? Yeah, no, but yeah, yeah, I know, but it's not proposing like an alternate universe. Oh, okay, so, so it, it doesn't work for you for science fiction? Yes, yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. Agatha Christie, I, nothing wrong, I can watch English films all day long, and that's cool, right? Or films set in England, it's just that it's, yeah, it's this science fiction thing, but it's still heavily steeped in modern day England. And that, I just, I don't know. Yeah, that's, and again, that's just me. Uh, I, I hear Doctor Show is an award, uh, and it's Doctor Show. Doctor Show. <laughs> <laughs> Again, that's just me. I hear Doctor Who is a, an award-winning show. 
and is much loved by many, many science fiction fans. So, mm-hmm. and and if the subreddit is anything to go by, we all know that my reviews of uh, film, both television and cinema, are all rubbish. So you should always take my opinions with a pinch of salt. <laughs> now, the real reason I bring up this email is not to talk about Doctor Who, more to talk about the name of the person who sent in the email. Mm-hmm. They challenged us to try and pronounce their name. So, when someone challenges Edgar, he doesn't back down from it. So I, I, I accept your challenge, dear listener, and both Bill and I will attempt to pronounce your name. Let us know if we got it right in comments, all right? Have you got the email open there, boy? I've got the email open. All right, okay, so can you see the name? I can see the name. Do you want to give it a crack? Just the first name now. Just the first name, hmm. The fact that they're asking us this makes me uh, kind of double guess myself, but I'm going to go with my, my gut instinct, go with, with, with my initial reaction and say a neuron. I would have said a neuron too. Okay. That's what I would have said. But just like you, I, got, I, I was like, hmm, if they're bringing it up, it's going to be something weird. Like, you know what, I could just, like, try to find it on behindthename.com. Ah, no, that's not in the spirit of the challenge, Bill. Well, I've, al- I've, already, I've already said my, my guess, so I think it's fair for me to look now. Okay, do you want to check up the name then, Bill? Yes. Okay, let's go for it. Okay. Now, th- this is being done honestly, I, I, do, I do promise, so that was my guess, and... Yeah, yeah, I think um, Anurin is a very logical guess. For the listeners, this is spelled A-N-E-U-R-I-N. Um, it, oh wait, behind the name doesn't actually give pronunciations. Oh, my bad. Oh, well, it could be a made-up name. No, no, it's, 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 it's listed. Oh, it's listed, but they don't give anything. It doesn't give pronunciation. Uh, as a second guess, you could go Erneuren. Yeah? Form it like a German sort of thing, Erneuren. Okay, where do you think it's from? Oof, it, it, it Scandinavia. Okay. I think. Where in Scandinavia, I don't know. Will I tell you? Oh, go for it. Welsh. No, really? Yeah. Oh, does that change? God, I wish I remembered. I learned a little bit about Welsh phonology. I really, I wish I remembered it. <laughs> yeah, then Anurin is an, I don't know if Anurin is a very Welsh sounding name now. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I'm going to, I'm going to say with the, with the, the knowledge that it's Welsh, I'm going to say to Anwerin. Anwerin? Anwerin. Oh, that's not a bad guess. Yeah, it could be. Could be. Dear listener, let us know. Let us know how to pronounce this. Um, if you're familiar with the IPA, just leave me an email with IPA and then I'll know what's going on. Um, so can you... So you said you learned a bit of Welsh phonology. Yeah, because I there's a particular sound in the IPA that just is, is um, stereotypically Welsh. So I looked up a little bit about Welsh phonology. Is that the, the voiceless lateral fricato? Yeah, the um, the sha, sha sound. Yeah. yeah. So I looked at their phonology briefly. Can I remember most of it? Nope. <laughs> As is the case when researching anything, you're when you're involved in the topic, you know so much about it, and the minute you drop out of it, you're like, oh yeah, no, I, f- I forget everything but the sort of TLDR. Once you stop paying attention. Exactly, exactly. Now, so I, I believe, Bill, that is the end of follow-up from the last show. Um, I've got one question. Oh, okay, go for it. So we were talking a lot about your um, video error. Oh yes, the the seasons and axial tilt video. Have you come to a decision on that one or? Um, yes, kind of in a way, sort of. 
That it, sounds like a no. No, no, no I, th- I think I have. I think I have. I kind of regret bringing it up on the podcast. Okay. Because people were great and people were really, really helpful. But what I hadn't anticipated was that there would be such a wide variety of responses. So it went from like people going, yes, take down the video to no, what are you on about? It's perfectly fine. No one cares about this. Then there's people who are like, yes, it's a big deal, but don't take down the video. And then there's people who are like, make a, make a separate video. And then there was, don't make a separate video. So I, I was very, very confused very quickly. <laughs> but there was one person who made a point. I can't remember the name of this person, but there's one person who made a point that I th- that stuck me. And they were like, yes, it's wrong. But should you really be wasting time correcting it via a new video when you should be moving on to new topics? And that kind of hit home because I was kind of like, I need to push on. Mm -hmm. We can't just spend all of our time going over axial tilt and not going on something else. So what I've decided to do, I think, is to have a vlog section on my channel, which is essentially like quarterly reviews. Okay. So... Every quarter year, I put up a video of me speaking and I talk about all the things I've done wrong in the in the preceding three months. Confession. It's essentially a confession. I'm thinking <laughs> about calling it a flog. Get it? The play on words because it's like a, oh. a vlog and you're flogging yourself. Because, and you're being penitent. Yeah, yes. exactly. Um, That's so, quite good. Yeah, thank you, Bill. <laughs> that took all of 10 minutes to come up with. So I think I might do something like that because it's very easy to do a vlog. It doesn't involve like all the animation. And I can, and it would be a dedicated place for people to go to should they want to know the nitty gritty details. Mm-hmm. So if people don't want to notice and they just want to take the general overview of the video, they can see, all right, well, this new video is not for me. So I think that's probably the best way of doing things. So I would say to listeners, expect a flogging video relatively soon. Cool. <laughs> so thank you to everyone who responded. These were all really, really class. Like no one was harsh or anything they were just all very constructive and again testament to the subreddit you guys are very very cool about a month ago loop here mm-hmm. our, our resident black metaler sent in an email saying that he has uncovered another bear flag oh indeed oh indeed and seeing as bill really loves really terribly designed bear flags i like I- one bear flag which, by extrapolation, means you like all the bear flags for the purposes of this segment. Fight me. <laughs> so, Lupier has uncovered this bear flag, and uh, have you got a link to it there, sir? I do. You do. So, open it up there, and let's have a look at this bear flag that Lupier sent. The flag of Yaroslavl. Okay, so, what we have here is we have a yellow flag, and in the center, we have a bear standing upright on its hind legs and across its shoulder there is a is that, is that a halberd i think it's a halberd yeah there's so many pole arms it's hard to keep them all on track but i think it's a halberd let's let's say it's a halberd uh, so it's a bear standing on its back legs holding a halberd slung across the shoulder and he has one paw up in mm-hmm. an almost kind of like hey how's it going guys sort of thing <laughs> <laughs> and and its fur his fur, he's a black bear. His fur is, is made up of these grey triangle shapes all over him. What do we think, Bill? Do we like this flag? Not especially. It's fine. Okay, now what makes this, what makes this 
not as good as atomic bear science. It's the same thing. It's a bear doing something crazy. It's not that crazy. And Man, he's holding not- a halberd. How many bears do you know hold halberds? Yeah, but like like flags and, and heraldry and symbols and stuff are always kind of weird. But just a bear tearing open a nucleus just beats everything. It's better and more weird than anything else. Okay, okay, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. I I don't like the flag again because it breaks all of Edgar's uh, rules of what good flag design is. You may disagree with those rules, but they are the rules I, I like to maintain myself by. So yeah, I, out of 12, 6 maybe. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's fine. It, I, I have no strong reaction one way or the other. Okay, now, so then I thought to myself, right, well, if we're doing this bear flag thing, let's go look for more terrible bear flags. So I did that. On the way. Yeah, I went looking for some off. Now, some of these bear flags, Bill, they are very small <laughs> and very pixelated because I couldn't find better versions of them, okay? So you have to bear with me here. Okay. Okay. Roy, let's let's get this to Bill. All right, there you go. The Karelian naval flag. The Karelian naval flag. Ah, here. What? Well, what's ah here about? It's awful. <laughs> it's awful in that it's very very small, or awful in that it's just an awful flag. It's a really ugly flag. It's a very ugly flag. Now, fill me in here. Uh, Karelia is that? That's up by Finland, isn't it? Yeah, it's kind of the Russian side of the Finnish-Russian border. Look at that. We're tying everything together here. Bear flag. We're tying atomic bear science back to your trip to Finland. It's beautiful. Beautiful. It's majestic. Poetic, some might say. <laughs> so this is the Karelian naval flag. Do you want to give a pop at describing this for the listeners? Okay. Um, now, the shape of it is kind of hard to describe. It's a rectangular flag, I guess, uh, one by two. Um, Possibly, yeah. Roughly. But with sort of two triangles cut out of it at the end away from the hoist. So it's kind of, um, uh, it's, it's, I guess that's a side of pennant. I don't yeah. really know what the, what the technical term is. Now it's got a sort of Nordic cross on it. Yeah. Black cross with red borders and then a red square in the center of the cross against a green background in three of the quadrants. And the upper left quadrant is the same red as the border of the of the of the cross. Mm-hmm. And then standing seemingly behind the cross with its upper part in the red quadrant and its bottom part in the green quadrant by the hoist is a bear. It appears to be standing on a snake or some chains or something. Yep. And uh, the upper half is wielding, I guess, a scimitar or, or cutlass or something. It looks, yeah, I was thinking cutlass, yeah. And I really have no idea what those white things in the space above its head are. I also have no idea. I really hope it's not some some form of writing. Because that would make it no, even worse. No, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. This this flag is ugly. <laughs> like, it's not even funny bad. It's ugly bad. It is Yeah, it's, it's just really, it's just really, like unpleasant looking yeah it's very it's, it's, like it's offensive to look at the worst part for me two things the worst part here uh the use of red and green together make my eyes hurt mm-hmm. that's not great and then the bear the bear is covered up by the nordic cross and it's really like bad drawing of a bear as well oh it's awful um they, actually if anybody wants you can go search on uh wikimedia 
you can search flags with bears on them. And you'll find that a very common trend in crap bear flags is that the, there's an element of 3D. Like the bear is poking out from somewhere or is behind the thing. Yeah. Which is very, very, very strange. And I don't understand why are like all the bear flag designers just really bad at their job. I don't, I don't understand. But this flag is shockingly bad in a totally non-funny way in a really sort of like, oh boy, I need to shower, I feel unclean sort of way. Mm. Uh, so that was number one. Uh, a bonus flag, I'm not going to talk about it, is the city flag of Madrid is a shocking bear flag. The city flag of Madrid? Of Madrid, yeah. Okay. I just want to pull it out there for anyone who wants to do an extra little bit of homework. Bill, are you Googling the city flag of Madrid? Of course. <laughs> No, we can't talk about it. We're going to spend all day on flag corner no, if we, we do this. We don't have to talk about it. I'm able to look at things and not talk about them, Edgar. <laughs> no, really? <laughs> okay, yeah. Okay, moving on. Okay, right. So uh, then I wanted to... Uh, the last uh, bear flag... There's there's hundreds of terrible bear flags. But the bear flag I want to bring up is the county flag of San Bernardino. Okay. This is, I believe, California. I think, isn't San Bernardino, uh, San Bernardino a county in California? It is, yeah. Yeah. So this flag, right, is it is a oh have you oh I need to send you a link, sorry. Oh I've got it I've got it uh open off Wikimedia Commons here. Okay, what's what's it look like? Blue, white? Yeah. Yeah, okay, fine, right. What the hell is going on? Hold on, hold on, hold on. So this flag is about a one to two ratio again. It is a we have a dark blue horizontal stripe on the top going to a light blue horizontal stripe, going to a big, thick, white stripe in the middle, and then a light blue stripe and a dark blue stripe to finish off, all yeah. running hor- all running horizontally down. In the white stripe, we have everyone's favorite choice, lettering on a flag, saying County of San Bernardino. In a really bland font. In a <clears throat> really bland font, and it's not centered. It's not centered. Drives me nuts. Now, oh, you're right. Yeah, the, not good. And also, if you think about the O of San Bernardino, is really too close to the edge of the flag. Very much so, yeah. yeah the, it needs like, a big margin. Yeah, in real life, that would look awful. So we have, we have the writing, and then to the left of the writing, we have a seal. As in arms, not as in uh, arf, arf. <laughs> Arf, arf. <laughs> what does seal sound like? Yeah, that's that's exactly what they sound like. Uh, no, it is. We have the the vexillological seal. Yes. Uh, anyhow, so we have this seal on the left. Now, there's a lot going on oh, in this seal. This gets better and better the more I look at it. Yeah, I know. Right now, there is a lot going on in this seal, listener. So bear with me here. I'm going to try and do this. In a sort of logical way, so you can understand what's going on. This seal looks like an inverted arrowhead. That is a stamp. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, in the seal, we have we have a green mountain range. Mm-hmm. And we have golden fields beneath it, where it looks like there's various crops on it. And you can see, like, the lines for the plowing and various bits of green, all of which have been done in, I would assume, MS Paint, because they look (laughs) hand-drawn. And then beside the fields of crops, you have a railway line. And then towards the mountain, the railway line is made up of, like, old-school sort of, like, um, pre-train carriages. 
Is that what that is? Yeah, yeah. It's like old school sort of carts. Because I'm looking at a pretty small, um, a pretty small image of it, and that just looked like, like it. Honestly, it looked like roadkill or something. It looked like roadkill. <laughs> yeah, I, I, hadn't, I hadn't a clue what was going on. Wait, here, here you go, sir. Here you go. There's, there's a big picture of it. Send me a big one. Yeah. So we have these sort of carts on the railway line. Oh right. Okay. Now I see what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> and then they, the, the, the carts are going through a cog. And when they emerge out from the cog on the other side, they've turned into a modern train. Yeah. And the modern train is driving over what looks to be two different branches of two different threes. Is that a, is that a thistle and some sort of olive branch, maybe? I don't know. Mm, I, I don't, don't know. I don't know. There are two different branches of two different trees. You mean the, the crossed branches at the bottom of the seal? The crossed branches at the bottom of the seal that the train is, like, plowing over. Uh, well, the one on the right looks like grapes to me. I think San Bernardino's wine country. Okay, grapes. Grapes is one. Uh, do you know what the one on the left is? I don't. Okay. An orange, maybe? Could be. Do orange? Yeah, it could be oranges. Yeah, there you yeah, go. They, they grow oranges in, in, in... Or they they did, like, in the Great Depression and stuff. They did, they did. So, yeah, it could well be that. And then below that, we have, in tiny type, 1853, just so we know when San Bernardino was established. Mm-hmm. Uh, above the mountain, floating above the mountain, we have the words County of San Bernardino. Just in case you didn't get it from the really big text on the main flag, it's mm-hmm. there in small for you. And it forms yeah. the crossbar of a, of a scales mm-hmm. that is hanging down onto the fields below, right? And then finally, above the, 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 above the text, the county of San Bernardino, we have on the right... We have the flag of California, yeah, which is another bear flag. This is how we tie it in. Mm-hmm. And then to the right of the of the Californian bear flag, we have another flag, which I don't know. I don't know what it is. But oh, the, that's like the, that's the seal of the United States. Oh, is that the seal of the United States? I think so. Oh, perfect. Right. So it's we, like it's a, a, an eagle with a um, stars and stripe kind of shield for its chest, holding an olive branch in one hand and kind of a bundle of papers in the other so they have they have this well no arrows in the other is it yeah it's arrows in the other they have this incredibly dense seal that united states seal yeah stuck on an incredibly dense seal of san bernardino and shrunk down to a size in which you're never ever going to be able to get any of this detail it is so incredibly bad it's not even funny it's amazing like there's there's so much kind of um yeah, because they, they've shrunk a, a complex seal and the the Californian flag onto this already exceptionally busy seal. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And then they've shrunk that and put it on an incredibly bland flag. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then- and the County of San Bernardino is reduplicated. It's there in the flag and it's there in the seal on the flag. Yeah, it's, it's just... It, it's it, amazing. It makes no sense. It makes, it makes no sense. It makes it's me brilliant. so angry. And I, and the way that the the San Bernardino seal itself is um, got, it's kind of serrated or something like it's it's not like a smooth line. Yeah, it looks like a, it looks like a stamp. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah it does look like a stamp. Yeah. yeah. It looks like um, an arrowhead shaped stamp, which is just like why I like. There's no symbolism behind that. Like I can't think. There of, might be. I can't think of anything that's going to be like. Well, the serrated edge of this seal is steeped in deep symbolism. I don't think that would be the case. I think it someone was like, let's make it look pretty, and then just didn't understand what the word pretty was. Um, yeah, after a quick Google, I'm pretty sure that's a, an orange tree branch and a grapevine branch. 
Cool. So, like, let's, let's just, sorry, let, let's, just to count up the elements here, okay? I want to count up the elements, just to make San, the county of San Bernardino aware of just how complex its seal is. We have, let, let's count the background as one element, even though it's incredibly complex. Let's count it as one element. Let's be generous to the county of San Bernardino. Like, the, the background being the sky, the mountains, and the field. The sky, the mountains, the field, and all the crops, yeah? Okay. Okay, so we have the background thing. We have two flags. Mm-hmm. We have text, we have scales, we have two branches, we have dates, we have trains, and we have a cog. That's like conservative. And we have the border. And we have the the border? Like the stamp effect. Oh, the stamp effect, yeah, yeah. So conservatively speaking, that's like 10 items of complexity. And that's before mm. we even talk about the actual flag. <laughs> It's like, oh, what is wrong with you flag designers? It's just, oh, it's so bad. Anyhow, there you go. There's a bear flag corner. (laughs) Um, I've got a a sort of an outlier. Um, It's not a bear, but it's uh, another hairy mammal. And that's kind of spelled somewhat like bear. (laughs) It's spelled somewhat like bear? What is this? Okay, I'll send it to is, you. Is it like a polar bear? A polar bear is a bear. <laughs> I was trying to think of things that uh, are spelled somewhat like, oh boy, that's, that's, that's... It's ugly, isn't it? <laughs> okay, it is the flag of the Khrushchevo Menevniki uh, district in, in Moscow. Okay, all right. Um, it's uh, a yellow field. Okay. With a sort of a sinuous blue river running from the bottom left to the top right. It is. And in the center, there is what is meant apparently to be a beaver uh, standing in a sort of triumphant pose with uh, one foot on a stack of three bricks and the arm on that side grasping a tree. So the beaver's building a little dam. (laughs) Oh, is that what he's doing? Oh, yeah. yeah. Because beavers are known for building their dams from red brick. (laughs) Well, it could be dynamite. It could. Uh, it could be cartoon dynamite. I think you're stretching there, sir. But like, then there'll be a beaver blowing up a dam, which is with not cartoon what, dynamite. Which is, which is, which is, not which is kind of yeah, it's kind of a, a clever inversion. There's a sort of a, a, a an irony there. <laughs> Let's go with dynamite. <laughs> um. Yeah. This. It's a. It's very very poor. It's, very very poor flag. It's very very. Very bad. Yeah, and I see why you brought it up as a bear flag because I mean, like at first glance, it's a big brown thing. Yeah. So you could be like, "Oh, it's a bear." You need to look at it closely and go, "Oh, it's got buck teeth." It's got buck teeth and a big tail. And, yeah. Oh, and the, I didn't even see the big tail because it's kind of blends in with its leg. Because mm. <laughs> the majority was behind its leg. Do you know what I thought? Which was really what? weird. It. I thought he was building a bridge, not a dam. I thought it was like building a bridge and the symbolism was that like the, the the beaver must stand for the people that this flag represents and that the flag represents overcoming stuff to get overcoming adversity to get to like the fruits of your labor the fruits of your labor being the tree the adversity being the river and overcoming it being the bridge hmm which is probably all too serious a reading, but because I read it like that uh the three little red bricks reminded me a lot of how you might build bridges in Minecraft <laughs> uh, that flag is oh god oh god it's poor right 
like, oh, I don't understand. I don't understand how someone in their right mind can look at that and go, that is an appropriate flag for our wonderful town. It's like, <laughs> oh. Anyhow, there you go. Nice flag, Bill. Nice flag. Glad to help. As always, the flags will be in the show notes if anybody wants to check them out in case that we ha- we haven't done a good job explaining the flags. Um, and I think that draws flag corner to a close. I think it does. Yay! <laughs> so, Bill decided that for the main topic today, we would talk about magic. Mm-hmm. And as such, I spent the last week or so trying to come up with a magic system to present to Bill and have him analyze it and use it as a platform to talk about magic. Indeed. Indeed. And I did this, and I think I've, I think I've got something. I think I've actually genuinely got something that's very cool. So... I'll run it by you, Bill, yeah? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so uh, remember the dagger system? Uh, the planetary system, yes. The planetary system, yeah. So this, elaborating on that, this is going to be the magic system that works in that world. Okay, I was about to ask you that. I was about to ask you where you're going to join up the systems, join, join up the creations. Yeah, I'll try and have like a continuous tread sort of thing. Cool. Uh, so as a quick recap for everyone, the dagger system is a three-star system. Uh, with a Jupiter-like planet in the habitable zone of the system. Mm -hmm. And we have a Lagrangian Earth-like planet. And we have a Taurus-shaped moon of the Jupiter planet. Mm -hmm. Okay? Uh, Now, so there's a a bit of background here I need to discuss before we talk about uh, the the magic system. The the Lagrangian Earth-like planet is the place where humanity originated in this system. Mm-hmm. And they move to the Taurus-shaped moon. They've moved to the Taurus entirely, or some of them? Some of them, because what happens is, I think I remember saying before that the Taurus-shaped moon acts as a way of mining helium from the Jupiter planet. Yeah. So people go there for work. I'm going to I'm gonna retcon that. It's not helium. They're mining a mysterious substance I have yet to name that has magical properties. That's cool. Okay, so... For the sake of the conversation, let's call it X. Okay. Okay, just to give it a name. So they mine X there. So the entire civilization on the Taurus moon is built on industrial magic. They use X to power their technology. Mm-hmm. So if they have any warp spaceships, the warp drive is is made with X. If they have transporter technology, it's made with X. X has to be used in combination with technology to produce magical effects. On its own, it's it's a useless substance. Yeah, so it's like, you know, it, it's like burning oil or like fossil fuels or something. You need you need an infrastructure and you need ma- like other material things to to make it do its its stuff. Exactly, exactly. Okay. Um. So, do you know what? And again, sorry, there's a lot of background here before we get into it. Do you know what uh, Kimbanda is? Kimbanda. Yeah, I, I believe it's pronounced Kimbanda. I don't know. How do you spell it? Uh, Q-U-I-M. Yeah. B-A-N-D-A. B-A-N-D-A. Kimbanda. I don't think I do. So, Kimbanda is a Afro-Brazilian magic system that is uh, practiced in the urban areas of Brazil. And I like this idea of, combine, of, of combining magic with urban elements because the two don't necessarily mix. Right. So I'm basing my magic system on Kiambanda. Now, to give people an idea of what that is, 
there is Kiyombanda involves a series of rituals mm-hmm. known as Trabalho. Okay. Yeah. And uh, let me just read out a Trabalho just so people can get a, get a feel of it. So this is Trabalho number one, and it's a ritual to eliminate an enemy. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> Very metal. So it involves a couple of steps. Uh, step one, uh, you go to a crossroads on a Monday or Friday night near midnight, if possible in the company of a member of the opposite sex. So this idea in Kiyombanda of the crossroads being very important, and this, this will come into play in a second. And then number two, you greet the deity uh, with a bottle of light beer, a white or red candle, and a lighted cigar. <laughs> you greet another de- de- deity by opening seven bottles of rum in the form of a circle, lighting seven red and black candles, and offering seven cigars. And then you put into a vase a mixture of the following, so flour, oil and peppers mm-hmm. and then step five you put on the ground in the middle of the circle the name of the person whom you wish to hurt and using a knife you stab this like with great violence and you ask the deity to attend to your request okay all right so it sounds metal as hell it's really cool so i like this system so the idea of you have a seemingly arbitrary ritual performed at crossroads in urban areas to get your to get the magical response you need, mm-hmm. all right. So the home world of my system, I'm going to say that people there practiced a form of Kiyombanda. like literally, or just you're taking that as an inspiration. I'm t- I'm going to make up my own Kiyombanda, but it's essentially they they practice rituals like that. Okay. On the on the home ro- world though, before discovery of X, they were purely just rituals. They're superstitions. Yeah, but as they moved to the Taurus planet. The they kept their traditions, they kept their rituals, but they combined it with X, the use of X, to mm-hmm. actually produce a magical result. Yeah. Okay, so you have a mixture of the old world and the new world colliding in this system. Yeah, that's 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 awesome. A couple of things um, occur to me there. Go for it. That, well, f- first of all, a lot of, of that kind of thing, like the, the ritual you described... Is, is similar to stuff you you do see in uh, European magic systems. You know, the, the, the ritualized nature. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting that you're using this as something that happens from in the move from an old world to a new. Because you've described it as Afro-Brazilian. And mm. it's, it's uh, I assume then, the sort of syncreticism of African, like where, wherever the the Africans that went to Brazil were from, of their uh, own traditions, and then the like, Catholicism or whatever they were exposed to. Exactly, exactly. So it's that, it, you know, in, in this sense, Kimbanda is also formed in the move from an old world to a new. Exactly. And I, I think that, like, really ties in symbolism really nicely together. Yeah. Is, is that, is that a, a deliberate th- thought on your choice, uh, on your part? Most definitely. Cool. It, it makes me think of, because um, I'm quite interested in Santeria, so it sounds it sounds broadly similar to Santeria. What what is that? So Santeria is a syncretism of I think Yoruba religious practices and Catholicism. It's kind of like um, it's a Cuban largely I think. Okay. It's um, and I, I guess there'd be some elements in parts of the states, perhaps other parts of the Caribbean, but it's um, you know it's it's uh, it's a religion that okay. that, that mixes. Um, Catholicism and the the kind of um, Yoruba practices in in a similar way to how voodoo 
does yes, in, yeah. in Haiti and in, in New Orleans. That's a syncreticism. And I, I think they're particularly interesting magic systems because you have that mix and that mix can be very cool. Mm-hmm. It's a very, really cool aesthetic to it. So anyhow, to back up, on the home world of humanity, mm-hmm. uh, they practiced a form of ritual belief that I will develop based off Kiyombanda, mm-hmm. uh, which which is purely superstitious and, and doesn't actually involve real magic. But then when they move to the Taurus planet, with the discovery of X, a magical substance, they keep those rituals from the old world, but it becomes a like magic system in earnest. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Right, now, so here's the setup, right? The setup is that on the Taurus planet, the government places restrictions on how X is used. Namely, they only use X and they don't want the public using X. Their official standpoint is that X is a rare substance and it should be used for the betterment of mankind. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they're like, listen, limited supply, we need to pump it into the technology that drives our civilization. We can't have people wasting it on themselves. This causes conflict because there's people on the Taurus world who are kind of like, well, hang on, no, no, everyone's entitled to better themselves their own way. They don't need the government telling them mm-hmm. how they should be bettered. Right. So there's a, there's a rebel group that has arisen on the Taurus planet that seeks to liberate X from the oppressive government. Right. Right. And this is what this is how it happens. The rebel group, what they essentially do is they they inject their fighters with X, and we'll get into that the practice in a second, to essentially turn them into battle mages to fight the government. Cool. And how this is done is, like, if I'm a budding rebel member and I sign myself up to fight for the good cause, mm-hmm. I would go, and I live on a tourist plant, I would go to an artisan who essentially fulfills the literary role of an alchemist in a way. So I go to this artisan. These artisans are located at the crossroads okay, the, the the junction between various metro lines that you that are kind of run down. So it's an underground, mm-hmm. you find these underground sort of quasi-scientific alchemy labs where people combine illegal X, illegally got X with things like nanotechnology to inject it into fighters to give them magical powers to fight for the cause. Right. Okay. Now, what happens is uh, you go to one of these artisans at, at the crossroads and they, 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 every artisan crafts their own nanotechnology and every nanotechnology tells the X, every different nanotechnology tells the X what it is to become in your body. So one person's nanobots, for example, would tell the X to give you super strength. Mm-hmm. The next person's nanobots would tell the X to give you, I don't know, power, uh, powers of divination or whatever. So every artisan is, is unique and you seek out the ones that's, uh, that fit your task. When you found the one you want, you go there. They put the X and the nanobots in a serum and they inject it into your bone marrow. Cool. Yeah. And so, so these, these things, because they're unregulated and it's all black market and done away from the eyes of the government... These these procedures are often very gruesome and like they can be very physically scarring for a person. So it's there. It's injected into the bone marrow. I chose the bone marrow because I'd like the old world religion on my home planet to also revolve around the idea of osteomancy. 
and that's carried over as well. Okay? Okay. All right? And uh, from speaking from a scientific standpoint, bone marrow is quite cool in this way because lots of things uh, come from bone marrow, like red blood cells, so the X can be transported from the bone marrow everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, bone marrow plays a role in the immune system. Bone marrow stem cells play a role in the neural system. So there's a whole load of systems in the body that could be augmented magically, magically through injecting into bone marrow. That's cool, yeah. Okay, right. With me so far, yeah? I think so. Okay, right. Now, the catch, because with any magical system, there must be a catch. The catch is that X is limited and nanotechnology is extremely hard to make. So they're very, very limited resources. So when, if I were to sign up as a budding rebel fighter, I would be signing up for a death sentence. Right. So the serum with X and the nanobots is laced with a toxin that will kill me after a period of time once I have performed my duty for the rebels. So that the, that the alchemists, the sort of uh, underground scientist people, they can get your body back, take your remains, burn them down, and like retrieve the X and the nanobots to use again. Because they can't just make more vials and more serums. It's a very limited supply. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, and so that means, so this fosters this idea of kind of the sort of like almost like an ISIS sort of thing where people will die for their cause and they will knowingly go into this knowing that they will die. They will get amazing superpowers for a brief period of time to fight the government, but then they'll die. Mm-hmm. And the only person to have not died from the X outside of the government, the government with their unlimited resources have found really clever ways of making X perfectly safe for everyone. So their militia, the government militia, are fine. They won't die. They're absolutely fine. But the rebels haven't because it's all black market. The only person in the rebels who hasn't died of this is like the rebel leader because he was by committee given a serum without the poison in it because they, they felt that he was like the leader. He had the the foresight to know where this movement's going to go. So he is permanently augmented as a battle mage while the troops are only kind of pawns, if you get me. Mm-hmm. All right, thoughts so far? Um, this is pretty cool. It's nicely um, like a cyberpunk. Yeah, that's what I was going for, yeah. Yeah. From from the point of view, why, why do they want the soldiers to die, though? Why do they not just want to, to keep soldiers that are augmented and not like why do they need to use new recruits why not just keep them and then they'll grow in experience as well yeah so because because remember i said that each nanotechnician or alchemist or whatever uh, performs only one specific task right right so when you get augmented you say become i don't know like the the cyberpunk equivalent of a black mage or whatever that means you're just a black mage and they might need black mages for the next mission. They might need blue mages or white mages. So they become expendable, if you get me. No. <laughs> like, you don't need fighter pilots for every military operation. You don't yeah, just feel like it, it, yeah. shooting them once they've landed. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But remember, the supply of X and nanobots is limited. So if you have a really, like, rare resource sitting in someone that you're not using. Oh, the X doesn't get used up. No, no, the X, no, the X doesn't get used up. No, yeah, that's because after they die, you have to retrieve it from their body. You burn down the body. I thought you were just retrieving the nanotech. No, you're retrieving the X and the nanotech. Okay. Do you get me? 
And also, also to further bolster that, I can always say that one can only ever get one injection. Like I can hand wave it and say that the like different nanobots from different artisans will conflict with one another, and you'll just die anyways. Oh yeah, that mean that, that makes total sense. But it seems it seems to still make more sense to me to be like, okay, well we've got this guy who's a uh, super strong, and we don't need him right now. But let's just like not murder him. Let's just wait around until we do need a guy who's super strong again. Yeah. But let's let's boil it down to a very simple perspective. Let's say we have the leader and two fighters. Yeah. All right. We have the leader, the super strong guy, but we need someone now with telepathy. Yeah. All right. And so the the super strong guy has the entire re- X resource in his body. Right. So we have to take it out to give it to the other guy to get telepathic mm-hmm. powers. Right. It's just that it works on a slightly larger scale. Okay. Okay, I'm not saying it's perfect or anything. It's like a no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be overcritical. I'm just trying to get 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 it straight in my head. Yeah, no, no. Of course, yeah. And I, I be, uh, the captain. I ran this by the captain last night, and she raised that point as well. Mm-hmm. The need to not die. I, I kind of like the idea of dying because if I were to write a story, it would it would like be a commentary on the sort of you know the culture we have with with ISIS and things like that. It, it could be a very modern modern mm-hmm. commentary on on those those belief systems and how they're practiced. Who are the bad guys? Uh, we don't know. Like, it's it's totally ambiguous. Like, the government, you could argue the government are, are doing it for all the right reasons. They are pumping all the X into really important technology to drive civilization forward. And they're doing it completely legitimately. Or you can believe the rebels and say that they're not doing it legitimately. And they're what they're really doing is just boycotting it from the rest of the population to keep them weak. Mm-hmm. There, it's all it's all uh, black it's all grey there's no black and white okay that makes sense that, yes that, that is my preferred style yes because if it's if it's black and white it's boring yeah but t- to be honest the idea of like going to your local meth lab to to to, to get superpowers to to take down the government is <laughs> that does <laughs> that does pitch in a certain direction for me personally <laughs> Yeah, no, I know. I get it's not it's not a perfect system. Right? No, no, it's that's that's not a criticism at all. <laughs> oh, okay, all right. I, I I quite like that. It's like okay, so you want to join this group? Yeah, well, you have to go to like the really dodgy guy who's got a meth lab in the abandoned metro station. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really cool. And then I like uh, I am I consume my fantasy and science fiction um, content primarily in film form. Yeah. So when I think of ideas in my head, I always think of them very visually. And so I have this idea that these dodgy places aren't actually like what we think of as being dodgy. So like kind of run down, like decrepit. I I kind of think of them as being decked out in the sort of aesthetic of the old world rituals. So they're like these, these places, these hidden places where like there's lots of candles everywhere and there's like you know, beer and cigars or whatever items I decide to put into the system. So that it's not like dilapidated. It actually is kind of like almost luxurious. And when you go to get the uh, the serum placed in as a mark of respect, you must bring these tokens to the artisan. Mm-hmm. So his like little workshop becomes this like, this like decked out sort of nook, hidden nook and cranny. Uh, and I think that would be really cool. It'd be very vibrant in colors and things like that. Hmm. Cool. Um, so, and then a further point as well, because I mentioned the osteomancy from the old world. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to keep that going. So, oste- sorry, osteomancy for anyone is the ability 
to see the future through reading bones. Yeah. So I want to keep that going. So when the artisan brings back the remains of a fallen fighter, uh, what he does as a kind of just ritualistic thing, he will, before uh, destroying the bones and extracting the X, he will read them, believing that the X, like the X causes cracks in the bones. Like that's a, a kind of a minor side effect. Mm-hmm. And maybe they glow with some fluorescent color because X is fluorescent or something like that. But he reads those fluorescent cracks to try and predict the future and uh, try and like uh, help the rebel cause that way. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this this bit here, this this is kind. Of, I think this is kind of cool because this bit here is not magic. This is people making up stuff, right? So. The, when you inject with with X, you actually get magical powers that are like uh, palpable. They are, you know, they are manifest. Yeah. But but the divination thing is this kind of the old world stuff that's crossed over, and you have this sort of split thing in the rebel camp where there's people who are like, well, that's clearly nonsense, and there's people who swear by it. Mm-hmm. Now the rebel leader he swears by it, and that's causing ructions in the thing in the establishment because people are like, well, hang on our rebel leader is taking his military tactics from some sort of diviner. And so you also mm-hmm. have a, a mini like magical rebellion within the rebellion against the government. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that does make sense. Cool. Cool. Um, I, and I think that's, that's, I think that's my system. I think that's my magic system that I, I will try and elaborate on a little bit more. Um, and I'll try and come up with a neat set of rituals revolving around it and i'll try and bridge the thing between the old world and new world and make it a fully fleshed out scenario mm-hmm. anyhow so uh thoughts criticisms anything about that anything that uh that relates to magic systems you know or suggestions anything at all um let me think uh, well as regards to the cyberpunk thing and some of the the, the themes in the setting uh, i think a bit of uh, the deus ex series i don't know this okay well it's not magical but it's um it's a kind of a cyberpunk game and you play as a uh, nanotech augmented or in the the prequels a sort of mechanically augmented agent of various government organizations and it's all about conspiracies and betrayals and or the good guys the really the good guys or the rebels really the good guys etc so there's definitely a, a fertile comparison to be made there Oh no, that sounds almost exactly the same. No, no, it's not, I mean it's not exactly the same, but the, these are all quite strong themes anyway. So, are, are they are they tropes of cyberpunk? Oh yeah. Oh, like the idea of like being magically augmented and then that sort of thing. Well, not magic necessarily. No, I mean I guess in Shadowrun that's that's kind of the case, but okay. I don't really know much about the Shadowrun setting. Okay, all right, but, but yeah, like you know, totally like. Betrayal and, uh, you know, questions about authoritarianism and stuff is, is like, integral to cyberpunk. Okay, well, that's, that's, uh, that's okay. That's okay. If it's, if I can it's, think of one example, actually, of kind of dealing with ritual magic within cyberpunk, actually. Go for it. So, you know Neuromancer by William Gibson? I do not. Okay, well, it's, it's like one of the very first cyberpunk novels. Right, okay. It's a- absolutely, absolutely an incredible book. There are some precursors, you could say, but it's often identified as the first. And there's two sequels to it, uh, Count Zero and Mona Lisa Overdrive. And they have um, 
uh, voodoo characters in them. Oh, cool. Yeah. So as well as there being, you know, hacking and, you know, super corporations and stuff, there are characters who, you know, commune with Loa and practice sort of ritual, ritual magic. And I think it's, it's quite heavily implied that the, the Loa are like literally real. Right. Okay. Um, so that's quite good. I guess the Invisibles as well has, has a, a cyberpunk element and has a voodoo character, but there's a lot of magic in that. But yeah, this is in no way detracting from from your ideas. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying there's there's definitely it's definitely a fertile setting and it's a fertile uh, system you've come up with for that reason. Mm. And you think, uh, what about the internal consistency of the system? I mean, I don't really know enough about the rules of it to say, but it seems pretty pretty solid. It's interesting that the 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 X doesn't get used up. Does the X get used up at all? Like, does the X ever get used up in any situation? Um, I haven't thought of that. I would say no. I would just say that there is a very limited supply of it. Hmm. But if it's limited, if it's a limited supply, it doesn't really matter. Like, it's from an economic point of view, what does the control of it matter? Well, because you you have to determine how the extremely limited supply is doled out. Right. So, like, like, but it like it's it's not being doled out because you can just keep using it over and over and over. Yeah, but like it's 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 not it's it's a it's an entirely renewable resource. Right, yeah, but at the expense of losing what you had before. Losing what, what you had before? Like, so let's say you have, yeah, let's say you have a transporter, right? And you've been using X to power the transporter, right? Okay. Uh, but then you want to go build a spaceship with warp drive. Right. Someone has to make the decision where the X is going to come from. So someone says, we need to get rid of the transporter to take the X out of there and pump it into the spaceship. So it is renewable, but it's, mm. you have to keep putting it through different things. I guess. Mm. Yeah, now that you bring it up, I see that as a flaw. <laughs> like, for, for, like, I mean, obviously, you know, like, I'm not saying you build one wind farm and then there's no problem with, with electricity ever, ever again. But it just seems like kind of less of an issue than if it was something that got used up. Yeah, so if we, if we yeah, you're right. Using up better. If we use it up then... We have to find a way of making sure that it's not used up for the rebel fighters, because that would change. Why? Well, that would change the rules of engagement like completely. Then we wouldn't need to do. Well, mm, yeah, we wouldn't have to do the killing thing. Yeah, um, that's. I have to think about that. That's interesting. Yeah, I think I would like it. Yeah, now that you bring it up, I would like it to be to be more of a like higher price commodity in a way. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's not like I, I guess you are right that there is still a sort of like supply and demand thing, even though it doesn't get used up. But it seems like kind of almost less of an issue. Yeah, exactly. I would like I would like to make it a lot more of an issue uh, mm. because that means then the government would have a leg to stand on. They'd be like, "Well, we we can't just give it out to everyone. You know, it's it's rare mm. and it's it's limited." And then the rebels could be like, "What are you on about? You're lying to us. It's not rare and limited. It's it's, it's everywhere, you know." Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna have to come up with a system of of making sure that ha- happens. How now? I don't know, but but we'll see. Mm. Yeah, uh, that, that, that so, that's so a good it's point. less a fuel. It's less a fuel. It's more. It's more a catalyst. It is more catalyst. Yes. Okay. Exactly. I was thinking about actually giving it like innate powers, like mm. so, so making a function not like a catalyst, but I don't know. I like the idea of, like, it not being 
like magic magic do you know what i mean like it is a means to magic but in and of itself it is not magic yeah i i, I kind of like that idea because then you can kind of still go hard science fiction and say well you know it's just this like i don't know undiscovered element or whatever something like that mm-hmm. so yeah yeah so that that's that's my that's my idea uh, i would like to hear what the listeners have to say about this sure historically speaking uh the listeners are very very good at uh augmenting and developing ideas so i'm actually genuinely very excited to hear what people have to say about this great and yeah cool uh so that i believe that is that the end of the the magic topic i don't know it's your it's your system (laughs) (laughs) well that's all i have to say about at the moment i will i will in follow-up next next month Mm -hmm. i might have something a little bit more fleshed out i might yeah I, i might come up with some uh some actual rituals and uh, address this scarcity issue. Yeah. And let, let me think you know, about that for a moment and see if I can think of any other kind of, have you, have you like sat down and kind of tried to apply Sanderson's laws to it? Remember the ones we discussed before? Oh, okay. Run them back to me. Run them back to me. Uh, what's, what, what, what is the, the one about the, you can't use magic to solve problems. Yeah. You can use it to create problems. I would argue that the magic is creating a whole load of problems. <laughs> Yeah. In that people are I guess, dying. I guess that's more a thing of, of actually story crafting than, than necessarily yeah. world building. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If I were to it's, write it's, the story I mean, obviously the, the the line is, is kind of blurred, but Yeah, if I were to write a story about it, I would not have these battle mages be able to get like all the magic powers at once and they're basically yeah. invincible. Yeah, no, the whole idea that a certain type of nanotech gives a certain type of power is my limitation. Mm-hmm. And you can only be one thing at one time, and you only get one shot at it because you're going to die. Yeah. So, so I so I tried very hard to put myself put, put huge limitations on the system because it could really easily run amok. You could really easily just go, and then everyone is God, <laughs> and that would suck. It would certainly be difficult. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, that 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 kind of ties in as well with the the second law, which is that limitations are better than powers. Limitations and weaknesses are more interesting than strengths and abilities. Exactly, exactly. And I think as well, like the if you if I were to write it, and if the book was kind of on the side of the rebels, the limitations they face on a daily basis would I think yeah. would definitely be more evocative than the powers the government has. Yeah, like the fertile ideas there for me are the fact that from the from the rebel point of view that it is a death sentence and from the rebel point of view there is the ritualistic element that is required to make it work. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, the, 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 I think that I particularly I'm particularly fond of the idea of the death sentence because it it question it brings in the question a lot of things. Mm. And then like obviously then the government can turn around and be like, "Why would you support the rebels? Look at them. They're killing their own people." And yeah. then the rebels can say, well, we have to. And they do so willingly because you're oppressing us, you know? Mm. Uh, from the Arthur C. Clarke point of view, is is this magic just sufficiently advanced technology? I'm paraphrasing him, I understand, but you, you're not Yeah, you yeah, the, his, his thing. Is it sufficiently advanced technology? Is that, is that all it is? Like, is, is or is there a, an, a supernatural element to it? Hmm, I don't know. I suppose one could argue that X and nanotechnology or just technology is probably super advanced technology but one could argue that it's it could be so veiled in ritualistic beliefs that it has a connotation of the supernatural to it mm-hmm. whether or not it is is a different matter and i suppose that it'd be nice to leave that 
open for interpretation on part of the reader. Yeah. I think that would be cool. I don't, I don't know, actually. I genuinely don't know what I would say to Mr. Clark there. This such, such is the problem with uh, inventing a system, like, uh, at, like, 12 in the morning. <laughs> or 12 at night. Because <laughs> most of this was done post-work, post-maths, really deep into the night. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think this is a good starting place. This is probably one of, the, I, I think, not to, like, big myself up or anything, but I think it's probably one of the, the more solid ideas I've had. Because mm. a lot of my ideas are just abject nonsense <laughs> so it's nice to go up with something good <laughs> yeah such nonsense that you have sixteen thousand subscribers uh no no well hang on artifexian is not about come up with, coming up with ideas artifexian is about explaining things and then let more creative people come up with the ideas <laughs> if i had to come up with ideas on artifexian we would be we would be like wallowing in the doldrums that is 10 subscribers at exactly four languishing views. in the dozens Languishing in the dozens. Although for a man who likes base 12, dozens sounds quite good, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Alright, shall we, shall we green room? Let's go to the green room. Let's leave, let's leave that topic there with the listeners to elaborate on and we'll head in. Cool. I went to London for nine days, I think. Ooh, look at you. Fancy you. Yeah. How was London? Yeah. Uh, well, it was my first time in London. No way. Yeah, I'd never been before. Like, I passed through before. I, I uh... A few years ago, I met a friend who was visiting Cambridge, and then we travelled to Oxford together to visit Oxford. So I passed through London in between, but I saw the inside of, like, two tube stations, and that was it. (laughs) So you had a proper good tour of London this time? This time, I certainly did. I was there for a long time, and I saw lots of stuff. I didn't do, like, nine days of tourist stuff. I did a few days of tourist stuff and a few days of being with my friends and seeing, like, you know just like them living in London and doing stuff with them in their kind of normal life. And yeah, it was very, very good. I, I would highly recommend it. Uh, interesting thing about London. Yes. What, what are the what are the things you think of? Like the, the things, like the visually, what what is London? Uh, okay, now do I give... I have two answers for you here, okay? Yeah. The, the more mundane answer is Big Ben. Yeah. The big wheel. The, the, the less mundane answer is... The City of London plaques that are everywhere. <laughs> because the City of London is a different place from the rest of London and all of that. Yeah. yeah. So what 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 is it that you're going to enlighten me about I, here? I, I'm going for the main thing, right? So you think of the London Eye. You think of yeah. the, the Houses of Parliament, uh, Tower Bridge and stuff. And London is full of all these, like, really iconic things that you see. Mm. Um, like, in, in the on the TV all the time. In print all the time. And so in a way, it was kind of... Oh yeah, that's Tower Bridge. Cool. And like Tower Bridge, is, Tower Bridge is brilliant. But like the first time I saw it, it wasn't like breathtaking. It was just like, oh cool, that's Tower Bridge. Okay. And I have seen that now, and I am in London and seeing that thing that is in London. Um, but I think the second or third day I was there in the morning, I just wandered around for a while, and I came across uh, Christopher Wren's monument. Who is Christopher Wren? Uh, Christopher Wren was an architect in, like, the late 1600s, middle and late 1600s. Okay. Uh, Yeah, so he was around the same time as, like, Isaac Newton and Robert Boyle and those kind of guys. Okay. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, I just wandered along and I came across the monument. Okay. Have you ever heard of the monument? No. What is, what are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah, see, this is the thing. The monument is really, really cool. And no one is, like, it's not a thing anyone really thinks about because... 
there's just so much other cool stuff in London to see, so much big, you know, impressive architecture that this is one that's just kind of also there that people kind of forget. And it's okay. it's kind of sandwiched between a lot of other buildings. So it's like you can see it from, from a distance. You can see the top of it, but you can't actually see what it is until you get up r- literally right beside it. So the monument is a big pillar that was built to kind of commemorate the Great Fire of 1666. Okay. And it's like a big tall one and there's a, a big plaque on the bottom uh, like, like an enormous like a, a two-story plinth and then you go up a couple of hundred steps and there's like a view all around and it's it's really awesome it's like it's like a big big pillar and it's very very imp- visually impressive and just no one really knows it's there it's really weird <laughs> well hang on, hang on. So, so your point here is if i can summarize your point here is that cities are complex places with a lot of beauty in them. And we only ever recognize the few buildings that make it to like, make it into our, a popular zeitgeist and we don't recognize the rest. Is that your point? Well, if you're going to be a d- about it. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm just, but it happens everywhere. Like, <laughs> I thought you were going to tell me this wonderful thing that is unique to London. Well, if you're going to be a d- about it. Uh, no, the, the point is that there's this cool thing, and it's like that London is so full of cool stuff. Like anywhere else, you, you you'd know about this. Anywhere else, this would be a big deal. In any like pretty much any other city. Oh, okay. You're, all right. So your point is the multiplicity of amazing stuff. But yeah, there's there's yeah, so much there's big so impressive much. stuff to see okay. that this one big impressive thing, which would be huge, like in pretty much any other city, like oh maybe not like Paris or Berlin or whatever, but like in any other normal city. It's just, you know, no one kind of really knows it's there. So what you're saying is that London's just quite large. I'm saying that London has a lot of stuff in it. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> if you're going to be a dick about it. Man, you got to stop swearing so much. Okay, sorry. <laughs> We're going to leave all this in. There's going to be so many beeps. I apologise for Bill's profanity, listeners. It's, it's not I okay. I apologise for Edgar being so rude to me. <laughs> Uh, no, no, I, I'm being deliberately provocative here. Guys. I know, yeah. I know, because um, you're because you are an unpleasant person. <laughs> uh, so that that was pretty cool. Um, what else did I do? I uh, I went to St Paul's, the cathedral. The cathedral. Yep. Cool. That is really really cool building. Uh, yes. Um, did you see Mary Poppins? I did not see Mary Poppins, oh, but what I did see in St Paul's was uh, a big monument to Wellington. Which, you know, obviously, as him being my chief dude, was pretty great. And then I saw his tomb, which was also pretty cool. Okay. Um, what? No, I just, I love the way it's like every, I am your chief dude sometimes. And I love the way I fall into the same camp as Wellington, which I think is hilarious. He's my chief history dude. <laughs> and I love the way there's subdivisions within this camp. Uh, well, I love Wellington. He's great. It's like, it's like, it's like almost like someone walks into a building and you're like, um, hi, uh, and the building is entitled Bill's Chiefs. It's the name of the building you walk in. Hi, I'd like to speak to Wellington. And then I'm there and I go, oh, no, sorry. This is the uh, chief podcasting dude section. You need to take a left and then a right. <laughs> and then it's four doors down. And that's the chief history section. And it's just Wellington and Napoleon glaring at each other across the table. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm trying to think of what else what else I got up to in in London town. You had a very you had a very cultured experience in London. Did I? Yeah, my take home memories from being in London is getting like walking through their red light district 
<coughs> and getting a now I'm not in a sort of sleazy way and like that was the way home and getting a late bus home after being out in the town for way too long. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I went to the British Museum. You see, Bill, so cultured. <laughs> um, that was pretty good. So I went with a friend who uh, knows it really well. She's a um, an expert on kind of the Mesopotamian rooms. Like, oh. Knows loads about Mesopotamia. Okay. Um, which I'm quite a fan of. Uh, the first thing we saw, though, like just inside the door, first door to the right, was a mummified crocodile god. Oh, now we're talking. Which is just so metal. That like, is so the metal. The ancient Egyptians were so metal. You've oh, no idea. I like that. And then, yeah, we wandered around the Mesopotamian room for a while, or the, the various Mesopotamian areas, and that was that was really fascinating. Uh, that's a, a cool bit of history, because you know that there was kind of a global recession in the Bronze Age? Hmm. How? What? There was a global recession. Like, there was a huge, like, distributed Bronze Age culture, like, from Mesopotamia into parts of India, um, and, like, all across the Mediterranean. And okay. it collapsed. Why? Do you know? No one is really sure. Oh. No one is entirely sure why it collapsed, as far as I know. Oh, I did not know that. Huh. Yeah. And then, like, you know, it, that bit of history covers so much, because it's huge. Like, it's thousands and thousands of years. And it goes from, like, the some of the first known inventions of writing, certainly the first invention of writing in the in the West, mm. right up to kind of, I suppose, just before kind of Roman times, I guess. Wow. Yeah. Um, That's crazy. Yeah, it's it's really cool. A lot of lot of really interesting artifacts there. I'm a big fan of the uh, the guardian gods with the the kind of the bulls with human faces and the big beards and the lions with the human faces and big beards. Oh, metal. That's cool. I saw a map of the world, Mesopotamian map of the world, which, you know, obviously I love maps. And that Ooh. was pretty great. Yeah. Oh, very cool. And apparently a lot of those uh, kind of carvings and bas-reliefs were actually, would actually have been painted. They would have been pigmented. So kind of like how Greek statues, we think of them as, you know, white marble, but actually they were really gaudy. Yeah, I was about to bring it up as an example. If you look at reconstruction of them done properly, they look terrible. Well, to modern eyes. <laughs> well, yeah, okay, to my eyes, yeah, they look awful. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, it's just very interesting to consider, like, you know, like what we were saying before about how the, what we, the Stone Age people and hunter and gatherers and stuff, they weren't any less intelligent or any less kind of culturally sophisticated. Hmm. They just probably had less in some respects. Um, yeah. You know, art then wasn't less advanced than it was now, and... Like, it wasn't that they didn't know how to do perspective or whatever. That just wasn't a concern for them, and it wasn't relevant to their their kind of epistemology of, yeah. of, of, of how to represent art. And it wasn't really relevant to the materials they were using. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, that's often, that perspective thing is often cited by people as a sort of thing about, like, oh, the dumb people before us. Um, yeah. Thinking that they can't do it. And it's so rare that people think, like, well, actually, hold on. They chose, just like we chose. Yeah, <laughs> we choose to do an awful lot of things. They chose to go. Ah, perspective doesn't bother us. Who cares? We'll yeah. do what we, we do. And what you know, we do. like it, it may be true in a sense that they couldn't do it, and that it wasn't a part of their their culture. It wasn't a part of their art, artistic um, milieu. But like, I mean, obviously, they knew that small things, like far away things, look small. <laughs> Jeez, Bill, you just were, used the word milieu. I did use the word. I don't. Did I pronounce that correctly? What the hell? What the hell is a milieu? Um, 
God oh. damn it, you're so smart. Oh. I'm not smart, I just know <laughs> stupid words. <laughs> a milieu. That's the It's like the like your kind of the cultural background, I guess. Like the kind of the the stew of cultural ideas that you seep in. Really? Yeah. Oh, I did. I, I, I'd never heard. Hold that on, I've googled part. it. A person's social environment. Oh, okay. A milieu. Yeah. Spelt. How do you spell it? M I L I E U. Huh. Learn something new every day. There you go. Learn something new every single day. Every day. No exceptions. <laughs> you what? What were you milooing about? You were doing. Uh, what were you on about? Hmm. What were you milooing about? Why did I use that word? Yeah. But what, because what point saying, did we come out of there? It wa- it wasn't part of their social environment. Ah, yes, yeah, yeah of course. Like, yeah. Artistically speaking, exactly, exactly. Uh, so, out of twelve, London. Uh, I'd say uh, solid lots. <laughs> <laughs> lots out of twelve. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, the oh oh funny. Uh, sorry, out of twelve story. Sorry. Uh, the did you watch the Q and A video I made? Uh, I think I did. Oh, you did, yeah, because you commented about Kendrick Lamar, yeah, yeah. How good is Good Kid Mad City? Okay, really quickly, really quickly. It is very, it's very, very, very good. Okay. It's, it's very good. Uh, there is nothing I can detract from it. It's wonderfully crafted. It's not Lauren Hill. Yeah, but I mean, you're just, you've got a huge bias there anyway, so that's fine. I do, yeah. But there's, I, I get why you directed me to Kendrick Lamar, because remember I said I like rap that is technically proficient. Yeah. And that tells a story. I, I think you mistook my tells a story idea. And Kendrick Lamar is too far in the telling a story side of things. It's All right. It's too much like dictating an actual story as opposed to a, a like a rhyme sort of thing. Hmm. And I say this because on on the score, the Fuji's album, the worst track for me on that album is the one that is basically Lauren Hill just rapping a story. Right. Uh, and the better tracks are where there is a narrative, but it's more abstract. So okay. for me to for me to think that doesn't elevate uh, Good Kid, Mad City to the status of being up there with with the score is that it is too much like giving me pros. Not not a detra- not a detraction at all. Like that's I get that a lot of people like that. I, it's just in order for it to like get up there, at Lauren Hill, it would need it to be more abstract. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but overall, overall amazing. Anyhow, point I was going to make about the base twelve thing is: remember, someone asked me what size my feet are. Yes. Yeah, which okay. is really just a question, another question in disguise. Uh, and so I said, think of any number and add ten onto it. Right. And then one very astute commenter said that I had uh, imaginary. My my the number they thought of was the square root of negative one. It's an imaginary thing because my feet are imaginary. And now this imaginary number sort of crack has been picked up by other commenters and like done in the base twelve rating system, <laughs> <laughs> which is just awesome. I love these in jokes. They're so cool. So I have I have imaginary feet. And if, if you add 10 on them, they're also complex feet. Which well, is... we've never seen them. Well, yeah, that's, that's the rationale the commenter went by. He was like, we've never Ooh. seen them. They, they may not exist. Yeah. If a tree falls in a forest and there's no one there to hear it, did it fall? Or is that the, is that the quote? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it isn't. <laughs> what, a, what is, if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one there to hear it? Yeah. Does it make a sound? 
That's the one. Hey, there you go. Wow, I'm going to have to cut that out. <laughs> no, you're not. You're leaving that in. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, okay. Well, seeing as you made a fool of yourself with all your profanity earlier, I'll leave in the bit where I make you, you No, I feel, I feel I was justified. You were being very rude to me, Edgar. <laughs> I love how the language has gotten so tame, though. It's like, very rude. <laughs> Alright, uh, Bill, can I, can I, can I crack, could I crack on to uh, a, a bit of Star Trek, please? Yo, yes, of course, sorry. Yay, yay, no, that's cool. Really quickly to finish off the show, because we're getting to the zeroth hour here, is I have finished Star Trek. You've watched all of Star Trek? I've watched all of the 703 episodes. Like, even the ones that you initially skipped in The Next Generation? Yes, I've went back and watched all of them, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Everything has been watched. All right. A couple of things. After finishing Enterprise, I need to make an official apology towards Voyager. <laughs> Voyager, I love you. You are you are a great, great Star Trek. Uh, I'm sorry I ever doubted you. Enterprise is terrible. <laughs> Enterprise is really bad. And I think objectively bad i don't think i don't think this is a thing where people can go oh edgar oh your poor film reviews it's very 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 boring and very confused it's just it's a mess an absolute mess did not like enterprise so on my finishing thing i now can i now having watched everything i can put everything in order okay this is what i think about star trek bill and we'll see what the listeners think from best to worst I feel Star Trek goes like this. Deep Space Nine, The Next Generation, Voyager, the original series, and then after a long, 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 long amount of dots, Enterprise. Wait, Voyager is better than the original series? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Now, the reason being... I think the reason for that is I wasn't around when the original series was aired, and mm. it's aged really badly. Okay. And from a modern perspective, I get that it has great social implications, like, you know, the first the first interracial kiss and things like that. And, like, it's great commentary. But from a modern perspective, it's aged really poorly. Yeah, great commentary, but not necessarily great TV. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, anyway, so that's the order I, I put it in. Now, best captains, best to worst, all right? Mm-hmm. Picard. Okay. Cisco. Okay. Janeway, mm-hmm. Kirk, and then Archer. And again, there's a big, 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 big gap between Kirk and Archer. Um, so they're the captains. And then finally, I uh, just a shout out best and worst characters, right? Excluding captains, that is, right? Okay. Best character, a uh, seven and nine. Okay. It's got to be seven and nine. She was great. She really was great. Right. Worst character. Alright, I don't know if you're aware of this person, Laxana Troy. From which... Uh, so, she theory. she she is from the next generation primarily, but I th- I believe she also was in Deep Space Nine. Okay. Uh, you, you know um, Counselor Troy from the next generation? Yeah. Yeah, her ma. Oh no, I don't think I ever came across her. Okay, she is just... She's irritating, stupid... Uh, she's just, she comes on to uh, add a bit of kind of like misplaced sex appeal to the show. And she makes random appearances that usually always coincide with terrible stories. Uh, right. And she's just hideously annoying. So she's the worst character. There you okay. go, Bill. That is Star Trek in a nutshell. I am done. And now I'm on to the Clone Wars. 
<laughs> awesome. <laughs> I, I started watching the Clone Wars last night. Couple of bits of comment, bits of uh, feedback here for the people who left feedback on the Clone Clone Wars. Really cool. Initial thoughts are really cool. Good. Uh, I I really like it. The only problem is the episodes are so short. Yeah, because kids' TV show like so they're like twenty ish minutes. Yeah, they're twenty two minutes, and it's like by the mm. time I'm getting into it, I'm like, oh well, it's done. And like, I kind of wish they'd, ugh, I kind of wish they'd make like forty five minute long uh, animated things. That would be awesome. Uh, the droids are even more annoying in Clone Wars than they are in the movies. Oh, like the battle droids. Yeah. Oh god, they just they don't shut up. And they just they keep... don't, they're all controlled by the same central computer. They don't need to talk. Yeah, I know. And they all like and they like and they're played as if they're not like they have free will and they decide where to go and what to do. And they're like this like this this infighting between them. You know, like oh, and then like stupid like in the first episode there's a thing where uh the the droids all line up in front of a forest in their big tanks and then one droid is like we can't get through there. And then the next droid goes, yes, we can. And he drives his tank straight into it and just gets wedged. And you're like, what? And it's just like, it's trying to be hilarious, but it just doesn't come off. Other than that, Mm. it's a very good show. Yeah, I know that's that's really sounding dubious to me, but I might give it a try. Oh, you haven't haven't seen Clone Wars? No. Oh, I thought last episode you said you had. Oh, no, no, you, you said you heard it's very good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, man, I, I think it, it, it's worth it. Yeah, it is worth it. There's a few things that I think are wrong within the initial, like, six or seven episodes I watched, but mm-hmm. overall, it, it, it looks like it's going to be good. And, Bill, is this us? This this is that. This shall is we, us. Shall we go? I think we should go. And we I've should got, go. Uh, uh, before we go, I got, let's, let me say, Ras. Oh! <laughs> but <laughs> you didn't, did you roll your oar there? Yeah. Oh, can you roll your oars? I certainly can. Oh, you can... Oh, I'm so sad. You can roll your oars and I can't. Oh, Bill. This is terrible. I'll tell Poor you Poor Edgar. <laughs> I will leave you then, right? With not Edgar out, but I will leave you with the, quite frankly, superior rolled oar. I will leave you with the word rao. What's that? No, that's from the video, man. It's the the word. Did you not watch? The, oh god! Is that is that? Wait, hold on. Did I say it wrong? Did I? <laughs> oh yeah. You, oh, this is hilarious. No, yeah, what? you did. Yeah. Oh, it's 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 Rao, not Ras. I thought you were. Yeah, I thought. See, Zidnaf made the example in the video of Ras to demonstrate the role. Oh, but that's that's how I got video, confused. Yeah, at the end of the video, I say the word for buy is Rao. Oh, sorry, but with a rolled door. <laughs> No, not with a roll. The, the proper pronunciation is with the, like, the French, like, back of the throat or. Oh, okay. Yeah. If you rolled it the way you rolled it, it would be the cor- incorrect pronunciation. Okay. So All say right. it again? So it should be rao. Rao. Yeah, exactly. But And if okay. go, do it with a rolled or there? Rao. Yeah, that's wrong. Okay. That's not the same word. Okay. Wow, that was the most awkward ending to a podcast ever. Bye.
So there's a, there was a great council in Venice, and 30 of these members, which were chosen by lot, were reduced by another lot to nine. Then that nine chose 40 people from the council, and that 40 was reduced to 12, and those 12 chose 25. <laughs> the 25 were reduced to nine. The nine chose 45. The 45 were reduced to 11, and the 11 finally chose 41, who then actually selected the Doge. Wow. That's cumbersome. 